last couple of weeks, I've been sharing a little bit about God's perspective on us. Uh, because I'm always astonished at God's perspective on me and you. And it's changing my life. And I want to say a little bit about that this morning. And uh, last week, we, we were starting this sort of series on the prodigal son. And, and we looked at the idea of what the, of what the far country was. Do you remember this? Maybe turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. We'll have a little look at these two verses again. Because I want to bring you into the next point of this story this morning of a story really of our eyes being opened to who we really are by seeing who the Father really is. This is the journey that you and I are on right now. This is a journey God's had us on for some years. And I believe we're just going from, from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. So even today as we open God's Word, He is just delighting and speaking into our lives. This is Luke 15. And the two verses we read were verses 12 and 13 where it says, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a far country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So we saw that uh, that far country is a picture of what we do as well. We try and make a new life for ourselves by putting our past behind us. That's what the prodigal son is trying to do. He says, Father... Thanks for everything, but I'm off, all right? See you later. I'm going to make a life for myself. So he tried to make a new life for himself by putting his past behind him. Has anybody here ever tried to put your past behind you? Yes. <laughs> How successful were you? No, I carried it to the back. I'm going to be back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. <clears throat> that's a traditional time for people to say, I'm going to put my past behind me. I'm going to lose weight this year. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so what we do in the natural is we try and get a new life for ourselves by putting our past behind us. And uh, really, of course, it's not very successful. But here's the gospel. God's not asking you to make your life new by leaving your past behind. Because in Christ, he's already left your past behind. I'll say that again. God's not asking you to make your life new by leaving your past behind. Because in Christ, he already left your past behind. In Christ, he already left your past behind. See, again today, we're going to be speaking about this amazing word called repentance and what that means. Because what I've been sharing over the last two, two or three weeks is really, I believe we've had that wrong, what we understand that to be. We think of it as something that we do in order that God would do something. You know, we get that back to front. So again, he's not asking you to leave your past behind because he's already done that in Christ. And we have to receive that. And so he nailed your past and mine to the cross and then he buried it. Amen? And then he gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit that enables us to live this new life, his life as our life. His life as our life. The life of a perfectly loved son. That's the life that we're living today. Are you perfectly loved? Amen. Amen. Now, you don't sound too sure. <laughs> and that's the journey we're on. It's called the renewing of the mind. Isn't that right? Where were you? Tell me that again. Because as you say that, faith is coming from a mind to be renewed. We don't have to live life by ourselves in the far country, trying to make a new life for ourselves, trying to achieve the good life. Instead, we accept the gift of life that the Father has given us, life of the Father, you know. And uh, I want to think about that again today, about how God changes our mind. And that word of a change of mind, a fundamental change of belief, that word is metanoia. It's the word we translate as repentance, you know. Um, my father turns uh, 89 today, and I've been thinking a lot about him in the last few days and how his life 
brought change into my life. You know, I mean, he, he's a remarkable person. And uh, I remember when I first started to work as a, as a vet, every farm I went to, sooner or later, when they talked about him, they all used the same phrase. They said, oh, your dad's a real gentleman. Your dad's a real gentleman. I, I almost got tired here. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. He's a real gentleman. But it was true. He was so gentle. And you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to take note of me. I want you to learn from me, for I am. And that was the first word he used. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you know what? The gentleness of my father, I think, really had a much greater effect on my life than I ever realized. And the older I get, the more I see that. His gentleness, the way he loved me, made it very difficult for me to believe in a God who didn't love me like that. If my own father could be so gracious to me, it really bothered me. How could the God I was told of be less gracious than my own father? Now, not everybody has a gracious father. I understand that. But maybe with my gracious father, then I have a greater responsibility to understand about the graciousness of God. My father, there are times in my life, really, where uh, he would have every reason to be very, very, very disappointed in me. After all, I turned away from the church he loved. And then later, I turned away from the profession he loved and what I'd been trained up on, you know. Uh, he did not understand those things. I remember the day that I was ordained here as a pastor in uh, 2004. It was the first time he came to the church, and he sat right there, you know. And I remember cracking a bad joke that morning where I said to him, Dad, this is all your fault, you know, because you taught us the Apostles' Creed, and we prayed it every week. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Well, I've tried the Catholic part, and I'm in the apostolic part, you know. And he just laughed. He just smiled. And him sitting there thinking I joined some sort of cult. He just gave grace. He just gave grace. He never asked me to earn his forgiveness. No matter what I did, I knew I was forgiven before I asked for it. I knew he loved me. He never treated me on my worst day or on my best day. He never stopped treating me as his beloved son. And that persuaded my heart that I was who he saw me to be. And that's how God changes our hearts and our lives. Because what you and I believe is our life. What you're sitting there this morning believing, that is your life. And you cannot live beyond the borders of what you have believed. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not about your behavior. It's about your believing. Because when your believing changes, your life changes. And if you try and change your behavior before you're believing, you'll only end up a hypocrite or burnt out. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you have an outside of the cup ministry. You wipe clean the outside, but you leave the inside dirty. And so this beautiful, beautiful, gracious forgiveness and love and mercy that flows to us in overwhelming measure by this gentle God who speaks, and when he speaks, a hundred billion failures disappear. This God, when he speaks, his voice brings us real life, which is acceptance and love and union with him. Praise God. And you and I have the privilege of carrying that spirit. So I'm, as I'm speaking this, I'm breathing this in. I just want to breathe in this beautiful message because he doesn't separate himself from his word. His word and his spirit are one. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And so we come together, you know, and sometimes you say, oh gosh, there's failing me at that same message again. It's life. This is life. Absolute life. Now, why do I need to breathe it in? Because we just walked out of a very polluted world. The world, we're breathing in a different message, a different atmosphere, a message that's judging you according to your record, according to what you have done. 
And as we saw last week, God doesn't do that. Remember, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1, where it says, He has not called us according to our record, but according to His grace and purpose given in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, when God speaks to you, He doesn't speak to you according to you see yourself. He speaks to us according to how He sees us. I mean, that is just remarkable. It's just remarkable. It means that when God speaks to you, you don't even recognize that He's speaking to you. If He is the God who speaks and a hundred billion failures float away and just disappear, then when He speaks to you, He speaks to you as His perfect Son. Do you understand that? Or else the cross didn't do anything, or else the cross was a failure if it didn't remove everything that was between us and Him. So when He speaks to us, He speaks to us as His perfect child. And of course, we don't recognize that. We don't recognize that calling. Nobody speaks to us like that. Nobody speaks to us. They all remind us of our failures. They all treat us according to what we have, what we do, what we earn, what our reputation is. Nobody speaks to us in that way. And so when He speaks to us, first of all, when we hear this gospel, we don't recognize it as such as His voice. And that's the experience of every single person in the Bible. God came to them and spoke to them by a name they'd never heard before. Just ask Abraham. There he is, an old man. My dad's 89 today. I think Abraham was around about that, and he didn't have any children. And the God came and says, Hello, good morning, father of many nations. Abraham, what? He doesn't speak to you according to your record. He comes to Gideon, who's known nothing but 40 years of failure and defeat. He's standing in a hole in the ground. God says, Hello, mighty warrior. Good morning. Isn't everything great? And Gideon says, What? And then out of his heart poured a whole pile of bitterness and anger and poison. Ask Mary. Behold, the angel said, you're going to be the mother of our Lord. What? Anybody in the Bible. David. Praise God. What about Saul of Tarsus? What about Peter? What about the two sons in this story who both related to their father on the basis of what they'd done? So the younger son comes to the father and says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Look at what I've done. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the older son comes and says, I am worthy. I am worthy. Look what I've done. I'm the one who should have that party. You see what they're both doing? They're both relating to their father on the basis of their earthly record. And they're both not hearing what he's saying. You know, when the father met the younger son on the road, he knew he wasn't hearing what he was saying, so he didn't bother talking to him. He spoke to his servants, and he said, dress him. Dress him. I know he's not in a fit state to understand what I'm saying, so dress him. Give him my robe. Give him my ring. Give him my shoes. And you know what? That's the grace that's poured out on us today when we're in such a place that we can't even hear anymore what he's saying. When we become immune to it, when so many stuff's happened in our life that we're so depressed or so discouraged, when hope seems to have been deferred for the umpteenth time and our hearts are sick, he just comes and he dresses you. He just blesses you anyway. On your worst day, he blesses you the best to break that lie in your life that his blessing is conditional on your work, on your repentance, on you changing your mind about him. That's just not how it works. Praise God. Our generosity does not lead to God's repentance. His generosity leads to ours. Isn't that right? So, the Father's forgiveness. The grace of God is not the reward for our repentance. It is the root of our repentance. You know, the Father gives everything to us on our worst day, not on our best day. We just read these two verses. What's happening in those two verses? This is the worst day. 
This is the worst day. It's the worst day for the father. His son is rejecting him. His son is coming and saying, Father, I want the money that's due to me when you die. You know what he's saying? I wish you were dead. This is the worst day. This is the worst day. This is the most horrendous thing to do. Even as Jesus was telling the story, the Pharisees who were listening to him expected that he would say, and so the father had the son stoned to death. Because under the law, that was the punishment for saying such things to your father. And yet then, on the worst day, on his worst day, the father gives him everything. On his worst day. And that is so countercultural to the world and to the church that that's why this story of the prodigal son remains Jesus' most popular teaching. Because something in it really speaks to our hearts. We all want that sort of unconditional acceptance. It's something our hearts just yearn for. Praise God. The worst day. What was the worst day? What was man's worst day? What was man's worst day? What was the day man did the worst thing he'd ever done? Was it not the day he crucified the innocent one? Is that not our worst day? And what did he give us on our worst day? The best. He gave us his best on our worst day. God. It's amazing, isn't it? Never get past that. Never get past that. Eat and drink this. You know, in a few minutes we'll come to the table. We'll eat these emblems. It's not going to mean anything unless you eat and drink this. This is the truth. On our worst day, he gave us everything. There's not one thing we lack today. Everything is in his spirit and his spirit is given to us. When he gives, he doesn't know how to give something without giving himself. That's a better way of saying it. God doesn't know how to give without giving himself. It's the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he, he gave himself. See, this is the greatest mistake that's ever been made in the history of the church, is to separate God's giving from God. And people have done that with the grace of God. You know, the medieval church especially, they took the grace of God, they separated it from God, and they treated it as a thing that could be dished out according to your behavior. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. It's the person of the living God. True love always comes in person. Christ came in person. The Holy Spirit comes in person. He's here by his person today. And his effect in our life makes us better persons. It's all about relationship. Praise God. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about are you clean enough. It's about relationship. It's about personhood. Uh, I saw yesterday a great theologian of the church who lived in the third century. He wrote this, before God was a creator, he was a father. That's the truth. Before the world was formed, before he created anything, he was always an eternal father. And to understand that about him changes the dynamic. I thank God for my own earthly father that taught me this by simply being my father, by accepting me on my worst days. I thought to myself, how can he be a better father than God in heaven? Our father in heaven must be a better father than my own father. And so he is. Praise God. It's amazing. I remember hearing a story once about Abraham Lincoln. And during the Civil War, so many people were in desperate need that there used to be a queue out of the Oval Office and down the corridor and around the corner, you know, and all these soldiers and widows and people who had lost, they're all standing in a queue waiting to see Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States. But every morning, this one little boy, nine or ten years of age, he used to skip past the whole queue 
and jump into Abraham Lincoln's net lap every morning. Who was that? That was his son. And you and I, this morning, the father says, will you skip past the thousand reasons why you think you shouldn't even be here this morning and will you jump into my lap? Because that's why I give everything for you and I to be together, to know that you're accepted. And only that sort of acceptance, that radical acceptance, can radically change your life. For the only love that's going to change your behavior is the love that's never been given on the basis of your behavior. And that's what 2 Timothy 1 means. That you're called not according to your record, but according to his grace and purpose given in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that belief really is going to radically bring your heart into rest. If it doesn't bring your heart into rest, if your heart remains restless, then you will look to achieve, you'll look to grasp, you'll look to make a name for yourself even in the church if your heart never comes into rest. And this gospel is bringing our hearts into rest and bringing our bodies into ease rather than disease. For it's an amazing amount of physical complaints and mental complaints that come when our souls are not at ease, at rest. Praise God. So our generosity does not lead God to repentance. His generosity leads us to repentance. Praise God. The Holy Spirit cannot speak to us as if the cross of Christ did nothing. There's a lovely verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and is no longer counting their sins against them. Did you hear that? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and is no longer counting their sins against them. Now I'm saying to you this morning that the Holy Spirit speaks to you as perfect and innocent. And you're saying to me, no, no, I think he speaks to me according to my sins. Really? Okay. So you're saying the Holy Spirit and the Father have disagreed then. For the Father has set your sins afar from him as east is from the west. But the Holy Spirit, he's coming around the back to remind you of them. And is not counting their sins against them. When, the, when Jesus was on the cross and he hung on the cross on the worst day of man's life. And he said to the Father, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. What do you think the Father said? Maybe you've never thought of it. But your heart's thought of it. Maybe in your mind you've never articulated it. But many of us, I believe, in our hearts have thought the Father said this. I'll think about it. I might. Or I might not. Depending on how well they do. Depending if they repent enough. If you believe that your salvation is based on how well you repent, on your repentance, on your obedience, on your faith, on your righteousness, on your anything, then you have no rest in your soul this morning. Because <laughs> even if you believe that your salvation was 99.999% him and only 0.0001% you, you'd have no rest. Because how do you ever know you've done your 0.0001%? For you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Which is why the church has split and split and split and split again. Praise God. There is only one life, his life. But if I insist on having my best for him life as well, then I'm a bit like the prodigal son. You know, I'm trying to form a life for myself, and I think I'm getting there. But every step I take away from the Father into this new life is a step into death. You know, it's not life-giving, it's life-taking. Stepping away from the life that he's given uh, just drains me of life. So Jesus said, come to me all who are thirsty. Come and eat and drink for free. Come and eat 
Come and receive this beautiful life that I give freely. Unless you want to have a life for yourself. What you believe is your life. That's why man fell by believing a lie. Remember the lie? No, 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 no. He hasn't given you everything. There's more you could get, but you've got to do something to get it. That was the original lie. If you will do this, then you could be like him. It's down to what you do. You need to eat of this apple. You need to do this. You need to do that. And once believing that, the, lie, the life that came from that lie was a totally different life where no more was he our provider and he our source of life, but we had to make a life for ourselves. And that make a life for yourself life, that's a fallen life. That's a dark life. That's a powerless life. That's a lonely life. That's a sad life. That's a miserable life. That's a depressed life. And that is not the life of Jesus Christ. Praise God. No wonder the father said over his son, knowing he had about to go into the desert and face all those temptations, he said, Behold, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And he said that before Jesus had done one miracle. And I trust when you go out of here today that you will have those words ringing in your spirit. Behold, my beloved child, with whom I'm well pleased. Because if you do, and if I do, and if I, if I, if I put on that mind, his mind, you know what it does? It lifts my attention off myself. And I don't spend the rest of the week making it about me. <laughs> I can actually genuinely have an interest in other people. You know, I can actually find that there's love flowing towards me, towards other people. I don't judge them because I say, you know what? They're but for the grace of God. Go I. What Roseanne said this morning. You know, when you, when you feel in that moment, maybe this week you'll get to a week where you're saying, I'm going to say something. I, I had a week like that. <laughs> I'm going to say something. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not. Because I've said everything that needs to be said. So love. I'll give you my love. If you will love them as I love them, I'll let you speak to them. But don't you speak to them apart from my love. Because that's not my word. Because you can't split my word and my love. Because God is love. Praise God. So if you're not going to speak in love, best not to speak. Everything about God, his discipline. Even the Bible speaks about his wrath. That's all his love. It's his love. You know, if my children are sick, I've got a wrath against the disease that's killing them. That's, that's the love of God. Praise the Lord. This is a beautiful story. I love it so much. These two sons struggling to find out who they are. And the father just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. Praise God. So let me just close by saying this. When Jesus said this parable, if you remember from the beginning of Luke 15 who he was speaking to, he was actually addressing this to religious people who had said to themselves, what's he doing? Eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so he told them this story. So he's speaking to these religious people. And the story comes as a tremendous shock to them because there's a story about a father who gives his sons everything he has at the beginning, not at the end. At the beginning of the story, not at the end. On their worst day, not on their best day. You see? Because the gospel is a he-first message. It's not a you-first message. And that's why this table... And if you have your emblems, get them out now because we're going to eat together. This table is not a you-first table. It's a he-first table. This table speaks about what he has done. That he has actually given us everything he has. And as we hear this beautiful gospel again and again, as we hear that he's not withheld one thing from us, as we hear these beautiful words where Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, For God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And then he wrote, if he did not withhold his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? So when we begin to understand that, we can begin to say, my goodness, everything has been given to me. I only need to receive it. Now, you see, love doesn't force. Love doesn't force. Yes, God has reconciled the world to himself, but it's the life of God, the Spirit of God, that makes a man alive. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must receive. That's why Jesus left a table. He says, I will lay a table for you. He didn't say, I will shove this down your throat. <laughs> he said, I lay a table for you, even in the presence of all your enemies, because I want you to participate. Because I'm not going to take away from you the one thing that distinguishes you from the rest of creation, a free will, the ability to choose, because you're just like me. So participate. I will empower your will to participate. You can't even take the credit for participation. It's not a matter of willpower, but about a will empowered. So I give you my grace. I give you my spirit. I give you my life. And that life is going to have such an effect on you, it will enable you and empower you to participate in my life. That you can come to see yourself as my beloved son in the same way that I came to see myself as accepted by my father because he never did anything else but accept me. And so around this table this morning, this table speaks about the acceptance of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're believing what I'm saying, and I'm saying to you this morning, whoever you are, in Christ you were reconciled to God on that cross, and he is now no longer counting your sins against you. Now, if you want to sit there and count your sins against you, then you've got to diverge yourself from the word of God. But if you can believe the word of God, then eat and drink. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. God's so good, you know. He knew that we need physical things to do. That's why he brought in baptism. We, during the week, we were reading about the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, who heard the gospel. And then he said to, he said to uh, Philip, who was with him, uh, here's water. What stops me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, if you believe in all your heart, be. See, what you believe is who you are. This is God's way of making you something. Be. Be still and know that he is God. Be. Being comes from believing, praise God. And so if you are believing this beautiful message this morning, eat and drink. Eat and drink. Say to your own soul, look what I'm doing. I'm, I'm believing this message. Sometimes you need to talk to your own souls, you know. I'm believing this message. Let's eat and drink together. Father, we thank you for your body broken this morning. This declares healing. So at this table, we bring Kevin and Carolyn before you this morning. Uh, Father, I bring uh, every person who's got sickness in their body, uh, everybody who's got sickness in their mind, everybody who's been uh, harassed and depressed, discouraged, everybody who's believing a lie this morning. Father, everything you did in that cross is enough for all of these needs. We, we thank you this morning. We bring thanksgiving to this table this morning. Thank you for Ian. We prayed for uh, Elizabeth's nephew Ian several weeks ago when he was on death's door at this table. He went home yesterday. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Thank you, Father. Everything that we need has been given to us. And so today we choose to partake of that by the faith even that you give us through this word. So let's eat and drink with great thanksgiving this morning. You're eating life and health to your own physical body. Thank you, Jesus. The cup represents the forgiveness of sins, the remission of your sins, you know. Take this cup and hold it over your week. <clears throat> hold it over <clears throat> everything this week that went wrong. Hold it over every accusing voice, every family member or friend, maybe every, any believer who said something to you that made you feel two feet tall. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold up the blood of Jesus over everything that comes against your family, over every lie, over every depressing thought, every accusatory thought. Every, even in your own heart, when you judge yourself as not being worthy, hold this up. 
hold this up, praise God, and see darkness flee from your life. For when the light comes, the darkness must flee. Father, we just thank you just for your grace this morning that little children, we can eat and drink and just be content in Jesus' name.